This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. We're going to actually finish Matthew today. I started this in, I think, February of 2019. It only took me a year and a half, but it's been a good book. But we will finish today. So we're in Matthew chapter 28. And um, uh, some of you know I'm just back from vacation. I was gone for a week, and uh, I had a good time with my family. And uh, so we're going to pick up now Matthew 28, 8. And uh, it says this, because this is now the resurrection. The angels appeared to the ladies and said, He is risen. He's not here. But then he says, He's going to go ahead of you to Galilee. And so verse 8, once the angel has appeared to them, verse 8 says, after he says, go quickly tell the disciples, verse 8 says, and they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. I like that. There's multiple things in there I like, but one of the first things I like is he says, go quickly. And so what do they do? They left immediately. Go quickly. And they just go and they do that. Now, what I also like about it is, or what's interesting, I should say, about it is that, um, like we said before, that women typically would not be the, the uh, testifiers of this because in that day, uh, their word in court, their testimony in court was considered like a robber's, they just useless. And so you would never have used women as the first uh, testifiers of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which makes it all the more credible. Why would they have put that in there if it weren't true? Um, But notice in verse 8 it says, They left the tomb quickly, but with fear and great joy. I find that really interesting. Because typically you don't have great joy with fear. They don't really seem to go together. But if you think about it, uh, you know, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And fear is something in our emotions. So these two things can be plain at times. Because haven't you ever been on something that you're really excited about? But it is kind of fearful. (laughs) And so think about them. They've just seen an angel fearfully says, do not be afraid, but he's risen. It's great joy. Go tell the disciples. So you've got to kind of put yourself in their place. And it's not easy to do it. So I, I don't know if I could do, but to imagine now that you have just realized, I've been told that Jesus is alive. You were sad. You were fearful about tomorrow, but now he's alive. And then go tell the disciples. I mean, so all these mixed emotions are playing within them. And we all know what mixed emotions feel like. Verse 9. And behold, this is as they're going, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Here's what I like about that. People who listen to the command of God, this one was spoken through angels to the women, and obey the command of God are met by Jesus on the way. Jesus will always meet us as we're following his commands and following in what he says is morally right. He will always meet us. And he's, that means he's also always ahead of us. We might talk more about that a little bit later in this one here. But I want you to think about um, just how quickly life can take a turn. An hour ago, they were sad, confused, and lost Jesus is dead. An hour later, they're they're thoroughly excited, uh, and now they've even seen Jesus. And you ever notice how quickly 
because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, things can go from death to life. You ever notice that? That we can sit there and look at things like, it's over, it's done, this is terrible, it's awful, and bang, God can do something because He's the resurrection and the life, and everything changes for good. That's something. That's what we should always kind of be, even in our down times, and we all have down times, be looking for a sudden appearance of something that Jesus is doing in your life because it's out there and it is there. But what's also fascinating about verse 9 and correct is that they fell at his feet and they worshiped him. Important next statement, not there. Jesus doesn't say, hey, stop worshiping me. I'm just a man. Uh Uh-uh. He accepts the worship of the women. Why is that important? Well, we know that you're supposed to only worship the Lord your God and serve Him. By Him accepting worship, what is He saying? He's saying He's God. He doesn't tell Him, don't worship me, I'm not God. He accepts the worship, and only God is worthy to be worshipped. And worship is great, isn't it? Isn't it great to come together and worship God with other people? It's It's one of the greatest experiences uh, of our lives to be in in a place where people are worshiping God and adoring him and you can feel the presence of the spirit of God in that place and you could feel that it's doing something uplifting your spirit too verse 10 then Jesus who's just met them said to them now he's got some words he says do not be afraid hmm go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me now the first thing before we're going to do some cross-referencing but before I cross-reference let me point out something here he says take word to my brethren that's a very relational endearing term it's the first time he uses it now think about this guys They've let him down, (laughs) these brethren. They've denied him. They've run. They've hidden. They weren't there for him. And he says, take word to my brethren. A very endearing term. You would, if it was us or a human, we'd be chastising for, you let me down and look what you did and this and that. You know, we'd be correcting and mad and angry. Not Jesus. He says, my brethren. That's a good lesson, especially in today's society my brethren. That's a good lesson for us to realize that even when we've let him down, he still says, my brethren, my sistren, for those of you sisters out there, um, that he's not mad at us. He's not angry with us. He, he, and he's, he loves us. But I want to start some statements and cross-references in here because in verse 10 he says, do not be afraid. That's a big statement, especially today's day and age, and just um, any time, but especially with what we're going through, there's a lot of fear out there. And I know a lot of it's legit. And I think some of it is brought on by 24-7 media that blows everything up. But he tells us, do not be afraid. Those are very serious words. For me, they are. Now, let's cross-reference some things. And and let me show you some stuff because I, I don't want anyone who's listening to me or anybody in my flock to walk in fear. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it's a verse that I'm sure a lot of you know, but in 2 Timothy chapter 1, watch uh, what he says. Watch what Paul writes. And uh, 
he writes here in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and discipline. The word discipline is the idea of sound-mindedness, clear thinking. See, fear clouds my thinking. Fear makes me believe and see things that aren't even there. Fear is a restrictor. But God says, you don't, no, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. He says, I've given you a spirit of love. And that's interesting because you know why? Because love conquers fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. If I know that God loves me, no matter what happens to me, I'm not going to walk in fear. You know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I pray for you out there that live in fear. Let me show you something. I want you to turn right now to Daniel chapter 3 as we continue looking at this, especially this day and age. Dan with what's going on today in society, uh, with uh, all these things. But in Daniel chapter 3, Daniel... Um, is about to be, uh, the guys, uh, the, the, the three Hebrew men, uh, they're going to be thrown into the, um, into the fiery furnace. Remember that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And uh, because, you know, they're, they're not going to be uh, intimidated. They're not going to worship the golden image. And as they're going to be thrown into this fire and killed, this fiery furnace, verse 18 of Daniel 3 says, But even if he does not, in other words, they said, God's going to deliver us. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Are they afraid? No. Are they afraid to die? Seems not. Now, why would they not be afraid to die? Because Daniel is not with the three here, but they all believe the same thing. Let me show you something that's very key in this book of Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 12. It's very important because Daniel himself will be thrown in a lion's den later on for, uh, not for worshiping his God. Um, but in Daniel 12, 13, here's a big key, guys. And, and this is, and I'm, I'm a firm believer that this is one of the things you need to know if you're going to overcome fear. In chapter 12, verse 13, it says, But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Why does Daniel not walk in fear? It's verse 13. What does he believe in? An afterlife, a resurrection. It's right there. See, Daniel, uh, and our, our key to not being afraid should be the realization that the, this material world is not all there is. This is not the end. If when I die, this is not the end of me. And as a follower of Christ, not the end of you. You're going to live forever. And so I don't need to fear anyone that can kill my body. I need to just fear the person and kill my soul in hell. And only Jesus can do that. And because I'm a follower of Christ, I ain't going to happen. So, yeah, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and of a sound mind. And I hope that helps some of you out there and frees some of you. Because the enemy's two biggest lies that I know of, his weapons are fear and lies. His biggest weapons. 
And the more truth of the Bible you get into, and boy, believing follower of Christ, you better be in this Bible, and you should be listening to Bible study because you need to clean this up. Truth is one of your strongest weapons. The truth shall set you free from all things, including fear. Now, let's go back to Matthew 28. And in 28 verse 10, again, it says, it says in there, he says, to tell, take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. Huh, that's interesting. Now we've seen a couple times, go to Galilee, go to Galilee. He's telling them, go tell the disciples, go tell the guys, meet me in Galilee. Well, in Mark chapter 16, uh, Mark adds a, another little piece, a little nugget to that statement. And in Mark uh, chapter 16, verse 7, in the resurrection chapter, he says, but go... Tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Go tell the disciples and Peter to meet Jesus in Galilee. Why and Peter? Well, I think it's obvious. Peter is really feeling bad now. Peter is in regret. I have let Jesus down. I said one thing, I did another. And every one of us knows what that feels like, okay? So let's not act self-righteous. Peter feels like I can never use by, be used by God again. And we felt like that too, haven't we? Peter doesn't want to see Jesus. He feels, how can I come and see Jesus? And we have felt that way. How can I come to God in prayer after what I've thought or what I've done? So what does Jesus do? Tell Peter to get there, because I'm going to go meet him there. Now, I can only imagine when Peter heard the words, Jesus would like to see you over there, like, oh my gosh, what, can I just hop a plane out of here somewhere and not go there? But he goes. And it's there that Jesus does the opposite of what we do in America, restoration. He restores. He brings relationship back. He forgives. He lets go. Because that's Jesus, and that's what we should be doing. You see, didn't Jesus say, I came to seek and save that which is lost? And there's a great example of a man who's just lost. Who needs saving? Peter. So Jesus goes to see, he goes to seek him there in Galilee, and to save him. And boy, doesn't Peter make a great turnaround, and about 50 days later, or less than that, a little less than that, you know, Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost and thousands are saved. How do you go from uh, the, the cellar to the penthouse like that? Well, only in Christ, only in Christ. But he comes to seek you and save you, friends. Restoration is Jesus' gig. Verse 11. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. Okay. The guards have seen the angel. Um, they, you know, all these things, resurrection, tomb, stone rolled, the whole shot. So they come back and uh, they're reporting to the chief priest all that happened. Can you imagine that conversation? You guys aren't going to believe it. Here's what happened. An angel shows up. The stone rolls uphill. All these things going on. Jesus walks out. Can you imagine? They, and then we know that we, we froze for fear. Oh my gosh, I just played like possum. <laughs> because who knows what's going to happen to me? Now, verse, verse 12, watch this. 
says, And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they, the elders, gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. They're going to buy the soldiers. They're going to bribe them. And here's what they say. And said, verse 13, You are to say, Here's your, here's your, here's your reason you're going to give to people why the body's missing. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. What? <laughs> the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus while we, the soldiers, were asleep. There's a lesson in there, first lesson for all of us, and that's this, before I really hit the heart of that statement. Don't you and I have to learn, if we're going to be clear thinkers, don't we have to learn to sort out the voice of Jesus in the midst of all these other conflicting voices? I don't think we Christians do a good job of that. You see, there's a, conflict, a conflicting voice there that says, oh, the disciples stole the body. That's not what happened. That's not even true. But the voice of Jesus is, hey, do not be afraid. I'm here, this and that. So there's conflicting voices. You and I, Christian, need to know this voice of the Word of God so we can not get bound up and wound up with all the conflicting voices that are out there. Because especially our day and age, 24-7 social media news, everything, all the agendas this way, that way, the other way. How many conflicting voices are out there? Be careful. Be careful, because this is the voice that matters most. Now, they said, here's their excuse. The disciples came and stole the body while we were sleeping. Okay, let, let's examine the problems of, of that statement right there. First off, all the soldiers were sound asleep. Do you know that those soldiers, if they didn't do the job, especially a crucified victim, if they let somebody take the body, first century writer says, they would be killed for that. They didn't do their job. They'd be killed for that. So first off, that, that's not real. Second thing is, these soldiers were so were, were in such a deep sleep, every one of them, that they did not hear a three to four thousand pound stone being rolled uphill and all the pushing and all the commotion. And then they didn't even hear the disciples supposedly go in the tomb and pick up the body and carry Jesus out. They're so asleep they don't even hear that. Oh, come on. That's ridiculous. Um, <clears throat> What's funny besides that is they said, we are so asleep the disciples came and stole the body while we're sleeping. Question, if you're so asleep, how do you know who stole the body? <laughs> how do you know the disciples? Come on, man. It doesn't even make sense. <clears throat> Friends, think about this. If they stole the body, how would Christianity have ever gotten off the ground? I mean, first off, the tomb's there in town. And, and they're trying to push Christianity there in Jerusalem right away, where he died and where the tomb is. You could just tell people to come over and say, look, the tomb's empty. Produce the body. And if he wasn't, and if he didn't resurrect, they would just pull the body back out and parade it around town. That's what they would do. But they didn't do that. Another great evidence that he rose from the dead. <clears throat> I'll tell you what's funny. The disciples came and stole the body. 
Now, wait a minute. These, these soldiers are great fighting men. The disciples have been hiding in fear the whole time. They're terrified. They didn't even believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. And yet, we're supposed to believe that, oh, they came and stole the body? No, they're terrified. They're fearful. They're hiding. So there's no way they would have done that. Now, here's what, here, here, listen, what I like about this text here. They try to explain away the empty tomb. But they never deny the tomb being empty. In fact, they're stating the tomb was empty, is what they're doing. But let's get bigger in our thinking. This thing about Jesus rising from the dead, which is a big debate, but we have evidence of this stuff. Think about it. The, before he dies, the disciples followed Jesus, thinking he's a Jewish Messiah who will overthrow the Romans. Point one. Let's jump to point three. He's a Jewish Messiah to overthrow the Romans. Point three is, these Jewish men, all of a sudden, who are terrified over here, are bold as a lion, preaching away. They, they move their, their, basically, church day from the Sabbath Saturday to Sunday, they start giving up their Jewish traditions and things. How, how, do you, how do you go like that? From here to he's going to overthrow the Romans to over here to spread the gospel is exploding. How do you go over that? Only one answer. That's point two. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. It's the only explanation. Otherwise, it would have never got off the ground. Jesus rose from the dead, appeared to many as we talked last week. And, and, and because of that... It just explodes on the scene in Jerusalem where they could have said, no, we'll show you the empty tomb. Come on, where's the body? They saw Jesus alive. And that's why it exploded. And that's why it spread. It's still spreading today. Now, let's continue on in verse 14. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. So in other words, they're going to they're gonna bribe uh, Pilate. And that was common in that day. It happened. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. So they must have known this spot where they all liked and they all knew together. But notice they proceed to Galilee. Why do they have to go to Galilee? What's the big deal about Galilee? Well, Quickly, in Matthew 26, back up a few uh, chapters, look at Matthew 26 and verse 32. Uh, it says, uh, Jesus speaking, But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So they're going there because guess who said that's who we're going to go after the resurrection, that which, of which they didn't believe is going to rise from the dead. Galilee. So Jesus is just doing what he said he was going to do. Do we do what we say we're going to do? Do we follow through on what we say we're going to do? Jesus just did. In fact, Jesus said, make your yes, yes, and your no, no. Don't waffle in between. Just make a statement and do it. People who grow stay true to their word. People who don't, they say one thing and mean another. Come on, let's develop our character, sign on the dotted line, and do what we say we're going to do. Now, verse 17. When they... When they saw him, 
they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Well, that's a couple of things I'd like to bring out. And that is that some doubted. They see him and they doubt. Well, this is not a settled doubt, like a settled unbelief, like, oh, I just don't believe it. That's not what it really means. What it's saying is this. <clears throat> it's uncertainty. It's hesitation. Now, come on, guys. If you saw Jesus and you knew he died, and, you know, they don't resurrect every day, but, and all of a sudden he's there, wouldn't you be, some of you kind of like, ah, wow, uh, your mind has to process. And that's more along the lines of what's going on there in that verse. But notice it says, when they saw him, the group saw him. Now, some in years past have tried to say, well, it was mass hallucination. That's why they all had a massive hallucination event altogether. Psychologists have already disproved that. There's no such thing as mass hallucination. None of you go up to anyone else and say, how'd you like my dream last night? You weren't in the dream. Only one person hallucinates and the whole group doesn't hallucinate. It's already been disproven. They all saw him. Another evidence right there. Now, verse 18. We're almost at the end of Matthew, huh? And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All, and when he says all, he means all. And there's a couple times he says all. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, in heaven or God the Father, I'm in equal position with God the Father. I have all authority. And now, this authority that he has, he utilizes it to make statements now. In a sense, he's got authority over his followers of Christ. Here's what's going to happen. He says, I have all authority, heaven, earth, everywhere. I have all authority. Here's the commands. Here's what you do, guys. Followers of Christ, this is your MO. This is your job description. Verse 19. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, let's examine now. There's a fulfillment of prophecy in this statement because he says, all the nations. Let's go back to Genesis 12. All the nations. Now, this is a fulfillment of a statement that God made about 4,000 years ago, thereabouts, to a man by the name of Abraham. And in his statement to Abraham, when he tells him to go forth and this and that, he tells him all the great things are going to happen. And then he says this in verse, chapter 12, verse 3, to Abram, And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Isn't that amazing? That about 1900 some years B.C. before Jesus' death and resurrection, then Jesus dies in resurrection and he goes back to, see, all, all again. See, we're going back to that. Watch this, that sometimes we miss. Look at Luke chapter 2. Watch Luke chapter 2. 
in, in, in the prophetic statements about Jesus' life as he comes into the world, as he's, as he's an infant. Watch, watch this. Luke 2 and verse 32, it says, uh, there's this man named Simeon's prophetically making statements about Jesus when Jesus is brought eight days old into the temple area. And it says, uh, verse 32 says about Jesus, says, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And the glory of your people, Israel. So in other words, all. He's going to be a light to all people. And we are called to reach all people. Not just a group. Not just our group. But all people. Now, I want you to think about this. Go. It is in the tense. It means going. It means that we're always on the move and always going to reach people for Jesus. There's no like, well, I've done my time. I've served enough or I've shared enough. No, it's we're always going. This is our number one um, job, the top piece of our job description as followers of Christ. But here's what I like. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. We'll get to that in a second. In the name, oh, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Wait, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But he says, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What? Name singular, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means there's one God revealed in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Isn't that pretty cool right there? The name, singular, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons in the one Godhead. I kind of like that one a lot, okay? Um, Now, I think we're at the end. Are we at the end now? Wow. No, let me say one more thing about that. Um, Let me say two more things about that. He tells these guys to go and proclaim the Word of God, baptize people. Think of who he's telling it to. Peter, who denied him. John. Remember John was so angry one day he wanted to call fire down from heaven and destroy a whole community of Samaritans? Philip. Philip, of whom Jesus said, Have I been with you so long you don't even know me, Philip? Thomas. Thomas, who said, Oh, unless I see him for myself, you know, I, I won't even believe he's risen because remember, he missed the meeting. And these are the guys that go. Isn't that crazy? They're, they're all flawed. They've all had their failings. And he says, you guys, I want you to go proclaim this thing. See? <laughs> and you wonder, oh, can God use me? Yes! Of course he can. He can use you anywhere, anyway. If he can use those guys, he can use me, he can use you. As flawed and failing as we are at times. You know, and don't worry if people say, oh, you're just a hypocrite. Everyone's a hypocrite. No one lives 100% what they believe, not even an unbeliever. So if they call me hypocrite, okay, whatever. It's not going to stop me from continuing to serve God. You're right. I I don't get it right all the time. You're right. I I admit it. But I'm still going to do it because he said go and do it. Now let me tell you what I like here also. He says go therefore and make disciples. He didn't say, you know, you know, if they want to. In this, no, make disciples. 
I like that. You know why? Because you know my favorite chapter, prodigal son. When the prodigal son leaves, he says, give me dad stuff. When he repents and comes home, he says, make me into what you want me to be. See, when you're a disciple and a follower of Christ, you're not the shot caller anymore. You're not the lead man in the boat, in the discipleship boat. Jesus is the captain. You're the follower. I'm the follower. And he's making us. We submit to him and he makes us into followers. He conforms us to his image. Not what you want, not what I want. It's what he wants. It's bottom line in everything in our lives, in our marriage, in our finances, in our health, in our relationships, in our attitude, in our forgiveness, in our grace, in everything. It's not pick and choose, guys. Make disciples. Okay, last verse. And teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, let me say a few things about this. Okay. First, as he said, first thing, notice discipleship. There's three things in those two verses. Here's discipleship. Go. Go share the gospel. Go, go share with people. Go, go, go share this thing. Get baptized. Get water baptized. Some of you never been water baptized. What are you waiting for? You want to be a disciple? Get water baptized. And then he says, you be taught. Be taught the word of God regularly and consistently. That's a disciple. You go share the gospel. This is what part of your lifestyle. You water baptize and always be taught the word of God as you're conforming. Those are the three things that make a disciple. It's right there. It's Jesus commanded him. But notice in verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Well, I want to show you something in Acts chapter 20 that Paul said. Acts 20, and then we'll come back again and finish off with another cross-reference. In Acts 20, watch what Paul says about all. Um, verse 27, Paul says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole, in other words, all, the whole purpose of God. Did Paul leave out parts of the gospel? No, he preached it all, shared it all. And we're to accept every bit of it. It's always funny to me when I hear someone say, and it's not regular, but I every so, so often hear someone say, well, there's parts of the Bible I don't believe. I don't really believe that. I, there's other parts I do. I never have done this, but I think next time I'm going to do this, I'm going to ask them, okay, could you tell me the parts you don't believe and the parts you do? They won't know what to say because they don't read the Bible. I mean, it's an arrogant statement to say, well, there's parts I do believe and parts I don't. Which ones? But next time I'm going to ask that question. You know, because the older, the older I get, the more I'm you know, kind of cranky. <laughs> okay, um, let's see. I want to I finish off with, um, with this thought. Lo, I'm with you always. Are you ever alone, follower of Christ? No, you're never alone. Never alone. He's always right there. This is the promise of his presence in your life. He is omnipresent. Wherever you go, He's there. He's in you, so He's there. Wherever. The Gospel of Matthew finishes with, I am with you. Okay. Now let's see how the Gospel began. We're going to finish here of Matthew. Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Watch this. 
It ends with, I am with you. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, watch this. It says, talking about Jesus, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I like that. You see, Jesus didn't come to stay with us or remain with us for 33 years. He came to stay for good. He is always with us. You could say it like I heard somebody say one time, Jesus in the present tense. He's always right here. The word Emmanuel means God with us. Therefore, you could say God with us. Emmanuel's middle name is with. He's with you. He's on the present. He's always there. Think about this. They're going to try to go to Mars. They're going to take people to Mars. Is Jesus going to be there on Mars? <laughs> yep. <laughs> He's there. <laughs> I was in my backyard last night because there's been some cool things in the night sky, especially if you look at Jupiter and Saturn close together and Jupiter and his brightness. And when I was gone, we were in high Sierras and we went up in a dark spot last week and we got to see the, um, the Neowise comet. My son Dylan took some amazing pictures. You don't really, can't see it that well down here. If, if at all, it's too much light. But up there in pitch black with the Milky Way and everything, you could see the Neowise comet. But last night in my backyard, I had Olivia out there, and I said, Olivia, look right there. She, she, by now, she knows it's Jupiter, because that's all I do. I like looking at night stars, and I have my app, and I'm saying, what's what? Because I just think it's so cool. And so I said, Olivia, you know how far away Jupiter is? It's 365 million miles away. That's crazy, and you can see it. Is Jesus there? You better believe it. He's the God of heaven and earth. Then the one next to it, not as bright, obviously, Saturn. I go, you know how far that is away from Earth, Olivia? No, 834 million miles. <laughs> but you could see it. Is Jesus there? Yeah, he's there. If you look straight above your head in the night sky, there's a lot of stars, but there's one called Vega up there. Vega that you can see with your naked eye. It's 25 light years away. That's not a lot. Oh, it's way further than what I described with Saturn and Jupiter. Because a light year is how far light travels in one year. Light can travel in one second, 186,000 miles, uh, meaning seven and a half times around the Earth in one second. So imagine light traveling at that speed for 25 years. That's Vega. That's up. Is Jesus there? Yeah, he's there. He's the creator of everything. There's no place we are, we're apart from him. And he's with you. And he'll always be with you. And you can take that one to the bank. That's why God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, a love, and a sound mind. You're never alone, so don't act like you're an orphan. You keep calm, you stay courageous, no matter what is happening around you. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.